Chapter 24, Barnstorm Anderson. Just when you think you've got it figured out, everything changes. First, life's about scoring touchdowns, shooting baskets, hitting home runs, until you get injured for the rest of middle school, which might as well be 500 years. Then life's about having a sweet row of 37 puffy tails, three times as many as anybody else. But pretty soon, nobody cares about that either. Now it's all science all the time. My head is stuffed so full of facts that I can't blow my nose for fear it'll come out. Ooh, I'm going to let you read that word on your own. I've stopped watching TV because any new information going in might push out something that's already there. My parents think I'm nuts. I think I'm nuts. I'm definitely not me anymore. But when that test happens, I'm going to be ready. And then life changes again. On test day, I thump out of the house, swinging on my crutches, just in time to see the school bus disappearing around the corner. Hey! I'm so shocked that for a second, I forget about my injury and try to sprint after it, landing face first on the sidewalk. By the time I pick myself up again, the bus is out of sight. No! My eyes turn back to home. Mom had to work early this morning, so there's no one to bum a ride from. I'm in agony. And not just because my nose is bleeding. You know the phrase, no skin off my nose? Well, there's actual skin off my actual nose. But the worst part is I've studied for this test more than I've studied for every other test combined, going back to kindergarten. And I'm going to miss it. The others will kill me. And that includes Elaine, who might really do it. Out of options, I start hobbling along the sidewalk in the direction of school. There's no chance I'll make it, but what choice do I have? I'm thumping and swinging at maximum speed when one car engine roars above the others. From our many field trips to Terra Nova Motors, I recognize the sound of a broken muffler. An old pickup truck is zooming along in the right lane, passing cars on the inside. To my surprise, I recognize it from Vesuvula Dumping Day. It's Parker's pickup. I spot him behind the wheel, beside some old lady in the passenger seat. Saved! Without thinking, I step into the road, waving both crutches over my head. With a screech of brakes and burning rubber, he comes to a halt about three inches from my skinless nose. Parker rolls down the window. Get out of the way, barnstorm. I'm in a hurry. I yank open the passenger door. Me too. I miss the bus. I've got you. You've got to give me a ride to school. I can't, he protests. I'm not allowed. I can only drive for farm business. What about her? I demand, indicating the old lady. That's different. That's my grams. I have to take her to the hospital. Grams, who seems fine to me, shoves over and pats the seat behind beside her. Hop in, kiddo. I should say that like an old lady. Hop in, kiddo. For some reason, that drives Parker crazy. He's not kiddo. I'm kiddo.
I climb up to the seat, pulling the crutches in after me and shut the door. Aggravated, Parker stomps on the gas and we lurch away, side-sweeping a garbage can at the curb. I guess you don't have to be a very good driver to get a provisional license compared to a real one. As we approach the hospital, Parker cranes his neck. We need the entrance that says emergency. I'll probably read it wrong, but you'll see it regular. You might see it regular too now, I remind him. Parker's been seeing a special reading teacher, and he's supposedly making a ton of progress. There, emergency. We wheel into a driveway. You got it, I congratulate him. But what's the emergency? Your grandma looks fine. Graham peers at me. Your nose is bleeding. You should see a doctor about that. She's not fine, Parker insists. She's walking funny. Duck, he adds as we approach a police officer on my side. So I bow down out of sight. And that's when I spot the old lady's white Nikes. You'd walk funny too, I tell Parker. She's got her shoes on the wrong feet. We pull over and Graham switches sneakers. Lo and behold, she walks fine. So we drop her at the senior center and Parker and I head to school. You're welcome, I tell him. You could have been sitting in emergency all day and missed the science test. I shouldn't be driving you, he retorts resentfully. If I get pulled over, I could lose my provisional license. But we don't get pulled over. We even got a few minutes to spare before school starts. I thank him for the ride and he thanks me for looking at his grandmother's feet. He's not a bad kid. We've gotten to know each other pretty well since being an SCS8. We're on our way to room 117 when the doctor of the, the door of the boys' room opens and out steps Mateo. Hey, we both greet him. He doesn't answer, which is weird. Mateo usually talks at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, in case it comes up on the science test. His expression is weird, too. Embarrassed? Upset? I look down. The kid is standing in a puddle. Water drips from his clothes, even the tips of his fingers. I'm mystified. Dude, why are you all wet? My answer comes with when three big guys emerge from the bathroom, shoving each other and laughing. I know them. They're football players. My teammates. Not that they want anything to do with me now that I'm on the sidelines. It doesn't take a genius to figure out they're the reason Mateo's half-drowned. The biggest of them, Faulkner, nods in my direction. Anderson, he mumbles and starts away. I stick out a crutch and stop him. Get the others, I tell Parker. He runs off in the direction of room 117, and I turn back to my former teammates. Real nice, picking on a kid a tenth your size, three on one. Like you never did it, sneers another of the three, Karnowski. I did it once, last year. It was stupid. I just wanted to prove my aim was better than Karnowski's. The trick is to stick your finger in the faucet and direct the, the steam of water with deadly accuracy at the target. But when I saw the kid I hit, dripping and miserable, I never did it again. Besides, I didn't know that kid. I know Mateo. 
So you've got nothing to say, Faulkner grunts. That's, what's this dweeb to you anyway? His name is Mateo, I say stubbornly. I hear footsteps in the hall behind me. Parker leading the rest of SCS8. I don't actually see them, but I know they're there. My attention stays focused on the three football players. Faulkner looks surprised. Wait, you're with them? The unteachables? They're better friends than I ever had when I hung out with you, I spit back. Karnowski kicks the crutch out from under my left arm, knocking me off balance. Raheem catches me just in time to keep me from hitting the wet floor. Aldo leaps forward and shoves Karnowski back against the wall. It's a dumb move. Typical Aldo. Karnowski is as mean as they come, and Aldo isn't nearly as tough against real people as he is against lockers, which don't hit back. Sure enough, the third kid, Bellingham, takes a swing at Aldo, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go. But Aldo ducks, and a big body steps into the path of the flying fist. The heavy blow lands on Elaine's shoulder. It makes a loud smack, but she doesn't budge. Solid as an oak tree. Bellingham's eyes widen in horror as he realizes who he's hit. Faulkner and Karnowski turn pale. I get the feeling Faulkner's tempted to snarl with something like, this isn't over, but Elaine rhymes with pain. He wants it to be over. The three football players turn tail and flee. I bray a laugh at their receding backs. Gee, guys, can't you run away any faster? Kiana starts hustling a lot of us toward room 117. Lucky for us, there weren't any teachers around. Lucky for us, I crow. Lucky for those jerks. Elaine was about to stomp them into hamburger. Me? Elaine asks, confused. We should have let you wipe up the floor with them, I enthuse. You know, like that kid you knocked unconscious and duct taped to the flagpole. Elaine looks totally bewildered. Or when you tipped the steam table over onto the lunch ladies because you didn't like crunchy peanut butter, Raheem adds. I love crunchy peanut butter, Elaine mumbles. What about the guy you headbutted down the stairs, I demanded. You can't say that never happened. Like 20 people wound up in the nurse's office. He just dropped his phone, she explains. He bent to pick it up. I bent to help him. We bumped heads. Elaine assumes a faraway expression as she relives the moment. The kids on the steps didn't stand a chance. He took them all out on his way down. It looked like a giant wave of people breaking over the staircase. We end up standing there outside room 117, staring at each other in amazement. It's just rumors, you guys, Kiana tells us. You know how stories get spread in school. The uprooted tree? Parker persists. The bathroom stall door? The fire extinguisher? Come on, the fire extinguisher has to be true. Elaine shakes her head. Sorry. Okay, fine, I say finally. But it has to stay our secret. If word gets out that you aren't a doomsday machine, the entire football team's going to kick our butts. Ribbit appears in the doorway. What's everybody doing out here? The science test starts in three minutes.
science test. After all the craziness of the morning, I almost forgot about it. Who knows how many important facts already leaked out of my head. Rivet distributes the test booklets as we take our seats. It's game on.